Playoff time is when things start getting serious on the court. Players are more driven than ever to win these big games and keep advancing. Goodyear knows all about being more driven, too. Working hard to help you advance on and off the road. Let Goodyear.com help you choose what's best. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. It's a Monday morning in March. The NBA is starting to get serious. And you know we're here to talk about it. Joining us from Oklahoma City, site of a uh, quality comeback win. It wasn't that great of a win, but they were down, I think... Royce Young, how many points were the Thunder down yesterday in the fourth quarter of the Grizzlies? They were down 13 points at one point, Brian. In the fourth quarter, without Paul George, yep. which we'll talk about in a second. But what's, what's Royce, the saying go? Is that uh, what? What is it that the? I think the Patriots said it that there's. Uh, it's better to win ugly than have a pretty loss. I think that that's where that's the. Uh, you are correct. Comes. You are correct. Royce is with us today because his wife is due to give birth this week. And we don't know when we'll hear from him again. Could be years. Maybe never. <laughs> um, and joining us in Oakland, just back from the East Coast where he watched the Warriors make their own come-from-behind victory Saturday night, uh, it, it's Nick Friedel. The That flight from Philadelphia to Oakland is no joke. Wait a minute. Was that... Was that Nick Friedel? B, that flight from Philadelphia to Oakland was no joke. All right. Which one of those was Andrew Hahn and which one of those was Nick Friedel? We'll never know. Um, Andrew Hahn's impression of Nick Friedel getting better by the week, I have to admit. Um, Nick, uh, just, back, just back from the East Coast. I thought that was damn impressive. By the way, that was one take. That was really good. Was one, honestly, I had to stop and one think. Take. Of like, which one is going first? <laughs> we'll never know, Royce. We'll never know. I don't know. Um, I don't even know. Andrew can't do the Nick laugh, though. That's the thing. He hasn't perfected that yet. Um, so, Nick, big victory for the – I don't know. Is there a big regular season victory for the Warriors? But um, they had lost – they got beat two games in Florida and then went up. Uh, I know that Embiid didn't play fair but clay thompson didn't play either and they had a really nice come from behind victory draymond green who's been very a lot more draymond in the second half of the season had another good game um what did you uh as you come back to the west coast what did you take away from that game and and that east road trip for the warriors they were happy they got that one Uh, they should have won that game well they should have won that game in Orlando, guys. They were down, or they, excuse me, they were up thirteen in the fourth, and just completely faded. Uh, that Wade shot in Miami was a complete prayer. Oh my God, Nick! Just a complete prayer. I don't think down. I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen a shot like that. <laughs> you mean a, a one-footed? Ever seen a, a one-footed? floater that that dropped double clutch and, and set off uh Dwayne Wade doing his best Eric Devendorf impersonation uh in Miami I don't even know who that is Eric Devendorf drop know. right there that's right that's Syracuse, right Syracuse great right there <laughs> except, except the best part of that is the Devendorf shot didn't even count in the Big East tournament but that's an aside I they're they're happy the trip is over they're what five weeks until the real games begin they got to make sure that Clay's knee is okay, but they're fine. 
everybody's feeling good. Uh, they're they're finding a good rhythm. They're just going to be very cautious. I think Steve uh, Kerr did the smart thing in in resting KD. He's going to start resting more veteran guys in the next few weeks here. They really don't seem to care if they get that one seed or not. They know they can win anywhere. So I am really interested to see when the games matter the most, uh, just how just how quickly they're able to hit that button and get rolling again. So it was interesting to watch that game Saturday because they didn't have Clay. They really went. I felt you know I don't watch them anywhere near as much as you do, Nick. Obviously, but um, I felt they went to Demarcus a lot more. Um, DeMarcus had a good game. Um, he had some threes, scored on the interior, rebounded really well. But the the Sixers just absolutely went at him on the defensive end. Um, time after time after time, they you know forced uh, him into switches. Now, I'll let you t- tell us about this, but I think switching was a new thing for him. Um, Mike Scott hit a ton of shots on DeMarcus. Um, you know, DeMarcus, you know, got it done the other end, but, you know, they gave up a lot of points. Um, after the game, uh, Steve Kerr was asked about this, about, you know, DeMarcus on defense, and he kind of praised him and said he did a really good job. Then Brett Brown was asked about it, and he said, I think I'm being accurate here, but he, I think he essentially said we went after him every single possible time we could. We wish we could have gone after him more. Um Draymond was so good in that game, especially defensively, that they were able to to be good enough on defense. And obviously the matchups were different. If Embiid was playing, you wouldn't have had that same scenario. But what did you what did you take away from the because we we know that in the play in the playoffs, Nick, we get into matchup situations, people are going to attack whatever weakness you can find and and DeMarcus looked to me as, as, as good as that was of a win, that he was a weakness at the defense event. Be the Sixers were doing the same thing that every team, frankly, has done since DeMarcus has come back. They're going right at him, right at him every time. In any case, I wasn't watching every single play. I had DeMarcus's biggest fan, Tim Bontemps, sitting next to me in Philly, who is yelling at me every single time <laughs> that DeMarcus is – uh, is being attacked and uh, and getting taken advantage of on that defensive end uh, the other night. So it's something that Kerr and the coaching staff are going to have to account for. I think Steve is going out of his way right now to make sure that DeMarcus's confidence defensively stays up. That's why I believe he said what he said after the game. He had a couple long conversations with him after Mike Scott was hitting a few of those threes going into timeouts that maybe – weren't seen on TV like, hey, you know, what's going on here? What, what are you doing? I, they're going to watch a lot of film with him uh, over the next couple of weeks, work with him in practice. But here's something else to keep in mind. On top of the fact that teams are attacking him, DeMarcus's conditioning still isn't where they would like it to be. I think it's much better than it was a month ago as he's come back off the Achilles injury. But he still got these six weeks in the regular season to get himself into better shape because as teams watch old games and, and go at their playoff plan, that is the plan right now for these teams to to be able to try and knock off Golden State. You attack uh, Cousins, you hope he doesn't get going offensively, and you hope that you get enough 
going at him every time that it, it throws them off a little bit. You know, will it work over the course of a seven-game series? I don't believe so. But there is no question around the league. The plan is go right at DeMarcus until he proves that he can stop you. And uh, up to this point, he hasn't really shown that yet. What, 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 what's happened in the past when DeMarcus has played Steven Adams? Um, well, double technicals are always involved, I would say. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, if I remember right, actually, there was an incident between the two. And boy, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened. Something about somebody got thrown to the floor. I think that I think that Cousins threw Adams to the floor, and Adams hit the back of his head on the floor, or something like that. I don't know. There was a yeah, as you can imagine. But uh, obviously, extremely physical battle. A lot of post ups. Now, Stephen Adams is a little bit different now than during those matchups when they played against each other in Sacramento. When when Cousins was in Sacramento, you know, Adams is more of a post threat himself, and. Um, you know, they use Adams quite a bit in the pick and roll, so that that it would be interesting to see how they might attack that. Uh, but yeah, it, it it Stephen Adams physically is probably one of the more built players to kind of stand up and hold a, hold his own against uh, Cousins. Well, the one, there was the one game um, I just looked it up where it was in Sacramento, where Cousins. This was like uh, three years ago. Cousins got so angry that he cocked his fist to throw a punch at Stephen Adams, mm-hmm. but then stopped, stopped himself from throwing it. Um, unlike many other players in the league who have, I don't know. If yeah, they, but if Adams doesn't. That hasn't happened all that much with Adams over the last like year and a half. Because I, people I have gotten used to him. Yeah. Either that, or I think he's kind of cut some of that stuff out a little bit more. Or you know, it's like Adams is kind of like. He's kind of turned the narrative on himself to where, you know, he had to play where he caught Mason Plumley and he he's a lot of opposing players when you talk to him now, Brian, they kind of talk about how respectful and classy Stephen Adams is. I think he's kind oh of my gosh. he's like kind of turned the table on on how uh, on his kind of uh agitator reputation or he's tried to at least. Well, there was like maybe 3 years or so, 3 or 4 years ago, I happened to be at a Kings Thunder game in Oklahoma City. George Carl was the coach. I know George. And um, that particular night, um, the Thunder ran the uh, Kings out of the building. Uh, DeMarcus was <laughs> uh, barely getting in between the free throw. I mean, he was basically just running in between the free throw lines. Um, he was just, you know, uh, Carl wanted to run and Cousins had no intention of running. And uh, it, that was the year George got fired. He got fired maybe a month after that, maybe six weeks. And um, I remember talking to George after the game, and let's just say he did not think that DeMarcus was uh, was helping him, and there was that whole snake in the grass stuff with, mm. we don't need to go down that line. But, you know, don't you think, Royce, that when they signed DeMarcus Cousins, in addition to the fact they were just grabbing a, a guy for cheap, a star for cheap, that they were thinking about potential playoff matchups against Against the Thunder, against um, the uh, the Rockets with Capella, and in theory mm-hmm. now against the Nuggets with Jokic, where it may behoove you to have a big body to go uh, to go with those guys. Hundred percent, and you know I think back to last season where the Thunder had a lot of success against the Warriors. As up and down as the Thunder season was last year, Brian, they they actually played against the Warriors really well. And part of that reason was is that Stephen Adams' size just completely took advantage of 
the Warriors bigs, you know, whether it was Zaza Pachulia or JaVale McGee. There was, a, you know, there was a, a game, one of the games last season where the Thunder built a big lead. It was the one where Carmelo Anthony rolled his ankle early on in it, and, and, but the Thunder got out to a 15, 20-point lead. And were, but the Warriors started to make a little bit of a second-half push, cut it to like 8 or 10, and the Warriors had JaVale McGee on the court. And basically the Thunder's response to that was is they just posted Adams like four straight times, and it was four easy buckets. And uh, I, I, uh, I certainly believe it's not just the fact of you've got a big body like DeMarcus Cousins that can battle against Steven Adams, but also to maybe get him in foul trouble. Now Adams has to guard somebody. Uh, Adams has to compete a little bit more for rebounds, those sorts of things. Because, look, Steven Adams is not necessarily, or Capella, or any, uh, they're, they're not like, you know, throw the ball into him offensive focal points necessarily, but they create so many possessions with offensive rebounds and drawing fouls and just just kind of their sheer size and presence makes such a difference. And I think that's been something that the Warriors have struggled with. So adding Cousins at least gives them a physical body to put, put on the interior against those guys. Nick, uh, the Nuggets play in Golden State Friday, right? Sounds Friday. right, yep. Yeah, uh, I'm going to see the Nuggets here, and I'm in L.A. I'm going to see the Nuggets play the uh, Lakers on Wednesday. I think it's the Lakers, not the Clippers. I'm going to see the Nuggets on Wednesday. Um, Andrew Hahn, are the Lakers are, are the Lakers playing the Nuggets Wednesday or the Clippers? Anyway, sorry, didn't didn't mean to. I should. The, anyway. uh, the the Lakers are playing the Nuggets. Be it's the Lakers. Thank you, thank you, Nick. Um, Nick, <laughs> uh, Nick, do your Andrew Hahn. <laughs> I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I, I'm not there yet. I'll get there though. Hey, it's uh, me, Andrew. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> um, no way. The, the, uh, the uh, so I'm, I'm just very I'm very fascinated watching the Warriors and Cousins and how this is going to go. Um, I, I don't know. Like, is he? Do you do you feel like he can be used in the matchup against Jokic? But Jokic is such a versatile big man, such a great passer. I mean, I guess. I mean, you know, my point is he doesn't. Get the, you know, he doesn't really create a lot of his offense, like just going, just bully balling, which is what you'd want Cousins for. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be Jokic, interested in watching Jokic that. Jokic is going to cook him, won't he? I mean, I feel like Jokic is going to cook Cousins. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's the best matchup for Golden State, guys. And, and Royce, uh, to what you were saying, Steve Kerr has said repeatedly, on top of having a weapon down on the blocks to dump the ball down to and have DeMarcus being able to shoot and, and his passing skills – absolutely the Warriors figured, all right, this is a big body that we're going to be able to plug down low who's just going to be able to to knock guys around throughout the course of playoff games. Uh, and with Jokic being able to stretch all over the place and create, it does not seem like <laughs> the best fit. But, uh, you know, when, when Golden State plays Denver, they've got so many other weapons that they can hit you with that that's what they're, they're going to be banking on. I, the broader conversation here, guys, to me is if you're Steve Kerr down the stretch of games in the playoffs, which lineup are you going to? Mm-hmm. The one with DeMarcus Cousins or the one with Andre Godala? And as we sit here in the beginning of March, I still think Steve's going to lean on Iguodala with that group, the Hamptons Five group, because they can switch so many places, and there is no discernible weakness. Uh, but 
it's a case by case matchup. And of course, we'll wait to see who they line up against. But I, I think that's the group still that he has the most trust in. And, and it'll be interesting to see how DeMarcus feels about all that when the biggest games are, are on the line. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say earlier is that you know, that Philly game that, that Steve Kerr took Cousins off the floor in those kind of final few defensive trips and he had Draymond at the five. Now, obviously, that's a different type of matchup. If Joel Embiid's out there, I wonder if Steve Kerr approaches that differently. But, you know, Damian Lee was playing the spot of Klay Thompson, but it was, it was you know, the quote-unquote death lineup look that the Warriors went with. And against Jokic specifically, you know, what Jokic does that guys like Steven Adams or Clint Capella or anybody else in that type of mold doesn't do is Jokic spaces out to three, and, and he's so good at catching off. You know, he'll set a screen, and he'll catch like a pop uh, off a pick and pop, and he, he can kind of pump it, and he'll freeze you, and he'll put the ball on the floor, and he kind of lumbers down the lane, but, like, he gets you off balance enough. I mean, I watched Jokic. Steven Adams is a really, really good defensive player, and Jokic just abused Steven Adams, and it was for a lot of that type of stuff is that he'd get Adams in space, and then kind of take him downhill into a post or, or whatever, just keep Adams off balance. And I have to think that with where Cousins is physically right now, that Jokic will just take complete advantage of that. So um, I, I, I don't know. I just I think um, I agree with Nick that when the when the chips are really down, um, it's going to be the Hamptons five who 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 who, uh, who decides these games. And Iguodala also I thought played pretty damn well on Saturday. Um, he's actually had a pretty good season after last year was kind of shaky. Um, by the way, um, I saw that Andrew Bogut, and I don't know if this is a, this speaks about where the Australian Basketball League is, but the Australian Basketball League, Bogut's season is over, and um, he was named MVP of the league this year. Now he pretty much couldn't even. And defensive player of the year, right? Yeah, well, that doesn't surprise me. The man is a great <laughs> defender. But MVP of the league is what I was pretty surprised about. Um, Nick, have, is that a, I mean, they have a roster spot open. I know they went after Canner. Um, they were hoping that Robin Lopez was going to get bought out. The Bulls didn't do that. They had injuries to, um, uh, they had some injuries there where they needed him. Um, and, you know, I'm sure they would have loved Pau Gasol, but he had Milwaukee lined up. Um, is that viable, do you think? Do you think Andrew Bogut's viable to come back to the Warriors? To uh, fill for that 15th a cu- roster spot? <laughs> For a couple minutes a game, sure. Uh, you know, well, I mean, he I, may not even be active for some games. I mean, it would just be, <laughs> right. You know, I, I do. I think he's going to make much difference. No, and and B, this is what always cracks me up with most most teams. You know, the Warriors have held this open spot, uh, trying to figure out what would happen. And the reality was, whoever appeared on the scene probably wasn't going to have much of an impact. Uh, Bogut could help them maybe in, in some games. But, you know, I, I think once Robin Lopez didn't get bought out uh, and there wasn't some wing guy who they loved, they were kind of like, all right, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But they weren't in any hurry to uh, to, uh, to to find somebody off the scrap heap. So is he going to help them? Eh. You know, probably not much, but he's a familiar face. He'll fit in well in the context of that group, and they'll just keep on rolling. Basketball's postseason chase is in full swing. This is the time when playoff seedings get set, 
teams make the last-ditch push to get in, and the true contenders start to outperform the rest. Boy, is that true. And wherever you're driving your family and friends this basketball season, you should make sure your car has the right tires to get you there safely. Goodyear of Akron, Ohio, knows that performance is everything, whether it's on the road or on the court. So when it comes to choosing tires, there's really only one choice. It's Goodyear. Go to Goodyear.com, learn all the information you need, and choose from their fine line of tire products. Goodyear, more driven. So speaking of 15 rosters, 15th roster spots, um, Woj reported um, is mid-morning on Monday that um, the Lakers had actually been talking to Carmelo about signing, but at this point they're not going to do anything. I really don't want to talk about the Lakers more here. I know that that's what Andrew would probably prefer that I talk about, or the Celtics, quite frankly, for that matter. Um, I'm just coming up this Saturday on ABC, B. <laughs> right, I know, I know. Well, I mean, it's good drama, but I just, I feel like I'm talking about it forever here, and I just want you know our listeners can find it elsewhere. I'm just tired of it. But I mean, come on, I mean, Carmelo. I don't know anything. I don't know what could save the Lakers at this point. I'm fairly certain that Carmelo is not it. Uh, if the Lakers, Lakers are playing the Clippers tonight. If they lose that game, uh, they'll, they'll pretty much lose the tiebreaker to the Clippers. They've already lost the tiebreaker to the Suns. I mean, I would never s- declare some, a team out of it with 19 or 18 or 20 games to go, whatever it is, because the nature of the league is so fragile. But if they lose tonight's game, especially with the Nuggets coming in on Wednesday, I, I just cannot. I, I just cannot see them making it. And, and already, it's pretty. It's pretty grim. Um, other than giving Carmelo a some place to finish out the season and wave his hat for a goodbye, I just don't see how that may. I mean, I, I'm, I'm prepared to move on. Do you, either of you guys have anything to say about that? But I just want to well, check is this, the box. Is this official rock bottom for this Lakers season, though, that you're not even good enough for uh, Carmelo Anthony? I mean, because that's that's the way that Woj well, reported it. No, I, Mello, well, Mello doesn't want to join a team that's going to miss the playoffs. I mean, I guess it's a two-way thing that the Lakers uh, don't want to give minutes to a 34-year-old. I, if they're gonna Do you think Mello has a bountiful options right now? No, that's that's fair also. But does Mel have an option right now? <laughs> well, Gary Washburn from the Boston Globe wrote a column today. You know, I don't know if I don't want to say he was calling for this. Well, I think he actually was. He was calling for the Celtics to sign Carmelo, and I just boy, do I think do I not think that's the answer there? I mean, that team has got some serious chemistry issues going on, but I don't want to talk about it tired of talking about it. I'll talk about it after they get their butts kicked by the Warriors tomorrow. Although I, I just you know, I, I'd he, add this real quickly though on the whole Lakers thing, B. I am I understand why because a lot of it has to do with with access. A lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, LeBron missed uh, you know that stretch of games with the groin injury. I'm I'm just still a little surprised that he is not getting crushed more because this Lakers team is embarrassing. The fact that they're at this point where we're trying to figure out if they can sneak into the eight spot and get rolled by Golden State after all the hoopla of him signing in Los Angeles and, and then trying to get somebody last summer and then 
the failed attempt at getting Anthony Davis, that LeBron is on this team, even though he missed a month, and they're not potentially going to make the playoffs. <laughs> Unbelievable. This is a guy who has dominated the league for years. And now, all of a sudden, he can't muster this group around him to get into the playoffs in a in a Western Conference that's just not as strong as it's been in years past. I I just cannot believe that he is not getting crushed uh, for for being at the front of this. That I mean, that game every, the other every night. Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. <laughs> they pull me back Phoenix in, Andrew. Was Hunt. an embarrassment. It was an embarrassment. They're they're just. <sighs> They're just going through the motions. And I for, for somebody who's watched LeBron from a distance and, and watched him dominate the East for so long, uh, to, to see the plays that are going on there and to, to watch him just kind of look disinterested at times and throw the ball off the backboard, I like I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, frankly. Brian, I uh, could believe would, it. Do you want I me to save you from this conversation or do you want do you want to let it go? I just want to say the Lakers are 24 and 21 when LeBron plays. Okay? Uh, they're not even good when LeBron plays. So I, I really don't even really want to hear about the, 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 that, that injury really cost them because whatever. Go ahead, Andrew. I mean, I'm just, I, I understand it's a big topic. I just don't want to, I just, I can't take it anymore right now, even though I'm going to their game tonight. Okay. Uh, how about this? There is a story from Kevin Arnovitz on ESPN.com yes, I was today. About to, I was about Speaking to bring in the Lakers up. and the team that just recently beat them. <laughs> Speaking of dysfunction, there is a passage in this Kevin Arnovitz Phoenix Sun story. I'm just going to read it for you guys here and then get your thoughts on the Phoenix Suns and general dysfunction. Four years after naming Ryan McDonough general manager, Robert Sarver acquired some live goats from a Diana Taurasi event at Talking Sticks Resort Arena and planted them upstairs in McDonough's office. The stunt was both a practical joke and an inspirational message. The Suns should find a goat of their own, one who dominates like Tarasi. The goats, unaware of their metaphorical connotation, proceeded to defecate all over McDonough's office. Brian? I mean, that's amazing. That's an all-time story that Kevin brought out there. That's a story that will stick with... I mean, it's it sort of um, sort of sums up Robert Sarver's ownership and the Suns um, and the Suns' plight for the last seven, six, seven years, all in one incredible anecdote. Royce, it doesn't it seem like great advice though. Like, hey, can you just go get one of the greatest players of all time, please? Like, can you just do that? Like, well, there's there's so, so much about, about this story that's amazing. First <laughs> off, that there was an event. With goats that had goats, yeah. What? A, what? A... <laughs> right. So there was an event with goats. I want you to think. I want you. To, I want to. I want to peel this up because Kevin writes about this, but sort of moves past it, mostly because there's so many stories about Robert. It's just Sarver. one big anecdote. I mean, that's what that story is from right. Kevin. It's like here's here's 400 anecdotes about why the Suns are crazy. Right. So he just sort of moves past. But I want to think. I want you to think about this. Like, I'm sure that the event was not being held in the team's executive offices. So Robert Sarver had to hatch this plan. Then whoever was herding the goats, the goat herder, right? He had to, they had to get him, get the goats onto an elevator. I hope it was a freight elevator, but (laughs) 
They probably don't even have a freight elevator that goes to the offices, but I don't. Honestly, I don't know. The goat herder has to come up, and then they, and then I I would assume. I've not been in the Suns executive offices, but I have to assume that the goats had to be herded past secretaries' desks, past cubicles, past the analytics department. You know what I'm saying? Like, and herded into the office, right? And, like, it's insane. The entire, I mean, the entire concept of him pulling it off is insane. Uh, I, I just, it's just such an incredible anecdote. Also, um, why not, I don't even why not know what to say. Why not just do one goat? Why did he have to do multiple goats? Uh, the goats that like to stick together. Sense. Everybody knows this. I, oh, is that, oh, okay. That's common goat knowledge right there. Okay. Um, I find this amazing because one of Kevin's favorite dishes is goat. Um, what did you think of that story? I mean, uh, Nick, what did you think of that story? That the Suns are a complete joke. It, it, it is. It's a joke. It's something that you, like, if Saturday Night Live tried to do it, they would reject it for it being preposterous. Yeah. I'm just, as I read through that story this morning, I kept going back to, how in the world does does somebody not <laughs> not go either go to Sarver and and try to to reign control? Why is there no one, nobody, who has been able to to serve as a balance of power in there? It's like once Steve Kerr left Phoenix, they had one nice year. That surprised everybody with Hornacek, and and you thought, all right, this is the up and coming team, and they've done nothing. They're an they're an embarrassment. They keep getting all these top five picks, and they go nowhere. They they signed Devin Booker to a uh, you know an insane <laughs> extension, and they're winning fifteen games. Now they are beating the Lakers, <laughs> but uh, on the whole, they're they're just not they're they're not only are they not good, they're they're not run well, and when you're not run well for that long, you point straight up to the top. So why is there nobody within that organization who can get through to Robert Sarver and tell him either to A, sell the team, or B, attempt to run things differently? Yeah. Well, that's well, like, it's, the Knicks, it's the Knicks conundrum. It's the same thing with the Knicks. Well, that's, and that's, you know, in the uh, in The, the guy's the owner. You, what are you going to do? In, in the opening few paragraphs of that, it, you know, Kevin kind of laid out a few things that Sarver did, just like going in the locker room and telling, I don't remember which coach it was, but going in there and saying that he thinks that he ought to trap more. And like those type of small hands-on type of gestures by an owner set just, just an awful tone within an organization that you, you constantly feel like that you can't do your job because the guy that's in charge of it all, the guy that's hired everybody – thinks that he knows how to do your job better than you. And the, the best owner, look, there can be hands-on owners in sports, I think, that do a really good job of it. Uh, but they also know when, like you kind of said, Nick, they, they know when to peel back. They know when they need to pass the baton to somebody else that's more qualified than them. And look, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't remember where I saw it. Maybe you, you were the one that said it, Brian, on, on this podcast or somewhere else, but about how the Suns really weren't scouting players right now. Um, and, you know, I think that you something just as simple as this, and I know that they're trying to get arena renovations done and all that, that type of stuff. But when you go to that arena, one of the things that strikes me so uh, 
so severely is you sit down and you look up at that jumbotron, and it's like a it's like a mock up of like a I don't know what kind of phone that is. It's like a Verizon something, but the, the like and so like they've made the, the the screen to look like a phone screen, right? But the phone's from like 2008, and it's like low definition. It's it's the it's the worst big screen in the entire NBA, and to me it's just it's metaphorical for how cheap the, the team feels, how cheap the arena feels, and that it's just not run as a first-class place. Well, they did just get a, an agreement with the city. I think the city is going to kick in $200 million for a renovation, and the Suns are kicking in money. I don't know the exact number. Mm-hmm. So the arena, which does need to be renovated, is getting renovated, and I think they're also going to build a practice facility. So that's happening. Um, that, was, that was our girl Greta, right? She was screaming at the yeah. city council meeting. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that her? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, that was part of it. Yeah. Why don't we get Greta um, to run the Suns, truly? Like, it well, can't be I, I, worse, you know, it, right? In this story, um, they, he's talked about since Mike D'Antoni left, um, that they've had seven head coaches and four general managers. Um, the reports have been, I, I think Woj reported it, um, that they are beginning to do background and doing some owner or some uh, interviews to potentially replace the front office that they have now. They kind of have an interim front office um, with James Jones and uh, Trevor Buckstein, um, you know, two, you know, James Jones was really young, uh, has only been out of the league for two years. Um, they're sort of handling the interim duties, and um, I think a lot of people in the league believe that sort of James Jones is the guy there. But in this story, um, Kevin points out that he doesn't even attend strategy and scouting meetings. Even when he's there, like even when he's not out on the road with the team or doing what other business that he's not even attending meetings. And so it makes me believe that that's not going to be the guys who are going to be in charge. That There's going to be another regime. And if there's another regime change, you have to wonder whether you're going to have another coach because Igor Kokoskov was not hired by this front office and – you know, it hasn't been a great year for them at all. They just had a 17-game losing streak. You know, the thing about it is, guys, it's it's a sleeping giant. Um, players want to play in Phoenix, at least you know historically. Yeah. Um, th- th- there's there's no state income tax, so it's it's attractive the way that Texas and and Florida is in that regard. That, um, that you know they they would always have a chance to get free agents. Um, you know, one of the things that that's happened is. You know, for a long time in the in the mid two thousands, when that team was really going, the Suns really you know they were a hot ticket. You know, they were selling out every game. Uh, um, you know, there's a lot of money in Phoenix in the winter, um, and the the team is just just your their attendance has dropped, their revenue and income has plummeted. It's like out of all the teams in the league, I think everybody would mostly agree that that, that the Knicks are the biggest sleeping giant, that if somehow, some way they could ever get it together, that if the Knicks were good, it would be amazing. But right there beside them are the Suns. The Suns have all the ingredients you possibly could need to be a juggernaut team year over year over year, as they were for a long time, um, at least relevant when Jerry Colangelo was the owner. And the same thing with the Knicks and the Suns. You have an owner who you know, creates situations and makes decisions that can interferes with it. And Kevin, Kevin, as Kevin does, did a deep dive into this. 
and frankly wrote a piece that's embarrassing to the Suns organization, not that they needed to have more embarrassment. Um, and, you know, again, I, I think, uh, you know, so people have been trying to buy the, the, the Suns off of Sarver for years. He has never been super serious in selling. From what I am told, he will take meetings or, you know, take third party, um, you know, uh, communications about, you know, hey, uh, would you be interested in selling? But then when push comes to shove, he never actually does. He never actually follows through. Um, and so if, if the Knicks, which have been rumored to be for sale, even though they denied it, and the Suns ever sold, it would be potentially huge for those two markets. But until they do, how can I possibly expect the behavior to change that you get into the definition of insanity in this situation? And Nick, you're right. Um, you look at them, like Aiton has had a really good rookie season. It hasn't been as good as Doncic. It hasn't been as good as Trey Young, but it's been really good. And they have Booker. But what do you see that would lead you to believe that anything is changing in the near future? In my opinion, nothing. Well, you, you mm-hmm. shouldn't. And, and then the next question is, why should you believe? And you shouldn't. Uh, you mentioned a name there, though, that was interesting. Why doesn't Sarver, and with the league's help, because the Suns are such a joke, why doesn't Sarver in the league, somebody, call Jerry Colangelo and say, hey, Jerry, you're not doing much these days, day to day, it doesn't seem. Uh, you want to come run this thing and get it back in working order? Wouldn't he be the, the perfect fit to, to, to rehab that whole scene in the moment? How is anybody of any repute going to come take that job when he's still the owner? The only way you're getting any... But he knows him. He knows he knows the inner workings. He knows where all the the bodies are buried back okay. there. But here's the, I mean, okay, you're right, and it's possible. But here's what I think: the only way you're getting someone of, and this is one thing I'll say about Dolan. At least Dolan pays. You know, like it, in my mind, the only way Robert Sarver is getting anybody who's a proven commodity in the NBA to run his team is if he gives him something like a $10 million a year contract, which he won't do. You know, they look to go cheap at almost every turn. Um, you know, they didn't maximize the, the great teams that they had in the mid-2000s and around, the, you know, the turn of the decade because he was constantly being cheap. So, like, unless you're willing to, to basically buy someone's – buy someone away from another team or – pay so much money that they will be willing to deal with you and deal with all your antics, I don't see how they're going to get an established person to come there. I think their only hope is to go find someone who's an up-and-comer and really good, and that's the way Sarver, who has huge potential, and that's the way Sarver has been going for ever since Steve Kerr left, and he hasn't found the guy, because even if the guy was good, he'd be he'd be undercut by... Um, you know, by Sarver himself. So, like, let, let's say that there was a clone of Sam Presti out there that they were able to hire. Well, Sam Presti was successful as the general manager of the Sonic slash Thunder because Clay Bennett let him do his do, do his job. Mm-hmm. Even to this day, 
Clay Bennett's support is one of the reasons why Sam Presti has been so good. So if you're going to go find your next Sam Presti or your next Daryl Morey, who was, you know, sort of a nobody when he got hired, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, you know, give them a chance to, to grow. And I, again, Nick, I just don't see how that's happening. I, I don't see who's taking that job unless they're getting massively overpaid. Um, I just, I just don't see it. Well, uh, and that's I'm the other wrong. problem. That's a broader problem with the league, B, because there are, there are two aspects of that. Okay. If you're not going to pay and you're going to be cheap and you're banking on a young guy to save you, well, then the young guy has to be good also. I mean, the, the team that's nearest and dearest to my heart, the Orlando Magic, they thought they found Sam Presti 2.0 and Rob Hennigan and he trades Dwight Howard and that deal actually looked good. And then about every other move he made was awful. And when you make awful moves for three or four years in but a those row. Those were owner influenced too. I mean, those were owner influenced moves as much as. Yeah, but I, what I would else. say is at least the magic, the magic will pay. I mean, the magic have a fighting chance because they'll at least pay. Okay. So Sarver, what, so, so, Sarver undercuts his people and he doesn't pay. So, so there you go. So if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a Suns fan, it, it, it must be like, uh, you know, you, you should just go crawl you're into Greta. a hole then. You're, you're, yeah, you're Greta. <laughs> like, why, why should you? The, here's the, the broader question. Uh, and, 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 and it's not just the Suns because there are several NBA teams that come to mind uh, when the, the cheap word appears, notably one that I used to be around a lot. Uh, of years in Chicago, Illinois, but the issue is he—he—he he, he, so he just said he just he got a shiv it at the Bulls on the way by. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love it. But but listen, if you're a fan of one of these teams, if you're a fan of the Phoenix Suns, why in the world would you pay season tickets, buy a ticket in Phoenix? Why would you pay to support a product that has been run so poorly for so many years? And to Greta's point, why, as the as a government, would you give them money, which they ended up doing? Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, but to your point, Brian, like when you talk about paying, it's kind of a give and take. There is that when you do pay somebody and you pay them really well, you inherently kind of give them leverage and power. And so, you know, I don't know what Sarver's motivations are. If it's just because he loves his money and doesn't want to pay, or if it's a control aspect, because if you're not paying somebody you know, as $7 million a year or whatever to, to run your organization. And you, you, you can basically hold power over, over everyone and control everything that you want to control. You can put goats in people's offices and nobody can tell you otherwise because they're afraid they're going to lose their job all the time. Um, and they're all like, yes, Mr. Sarver, that was hilarious. I thought that was great. Really good joke. Oh my God. And, but, but I mean, they, if you don't pay anybody, then, then no one else has power. By the way, um, Kevin points out in the story that he says moments after. I don't, I mean, I, I actually want to ask Kevin about this, whether he literally means moments or whether he's, you know, meanings, means like a day or a week or a month. Um, Sarver extended Ryan McDonough's contract, which I remember when that extension happened and it was like, I mean, I like Ryan and he came sort of with a really good resume. He had no chance because of, and he didn't make good decisions, but he also had no chance. But when he got that extension, people were kind of stunned. And mm -hmm. I'm happy he got the extension because now he's going to get paid for the next two years 
after he's gotten fired because um, you you've earned it when you work for that nutcase. Um, the paperwork reeked of goat feces. Right, but I'm saying like like that's sort of weird. Like you humiliate your GM, like and then you immediately extend him. Which, by the way, that was a bad. I, I think extending him was a bad business decision. He had not he had not merited an extension based on his performance at that point. Now he might disagree with me, but you know I was I was stunned when he got the extension. So, mm-hmm. um, I, you know I don't know. Um, Royce, um, I wanted to talk a little bit of, before we went. I wanted to talk a little bit about the. Um, about the Thunder, since we have you. Um, first off, Paul George has missed a few games with a with a right shoulder injury. Uh, yeah. Uh, how? What's the concern with that? I don't believe there's a lot of concern. Um, I think he's missed a little more time than what was maybe initially expected. Um, I was told that it was. It's not like a lingering issue. It's not something he's been dealing with. It was a an actual contact play that happened during the Nuggets game. Paul played through it. Paul didn't even himself know what play it was because he just kind of played on. The adrenaline gone through the game. And then after it, he got treatment and kind of noticed his, his shoulder was sore. But, um, it, you know, there's there was a thought maybe he might even play last night. But, you know, it's one of those day-by-day things, seeing how he feels. Uh, but I don't think that there's a heavy amount of concern. But I will say this, and this is something Billy Donovan talked about last night in their struggle to beat the Memphis Grizzlies. This Thunder team is kind of lost without Paul George. And it's not just, you know, it's one of those things where you can make an MVP. The best way to make an MVP case is by playing like an MVP when you're on the court. Okay, that's the best way to do it. Another pretty good way is for your team to look terrible without you. And the Thunder kind of look terrible without Paul George. And they look terrible in some ways, Brian. They look bad on both ends of the floor. I mean, that, that that's the impact of Paul George is that the Thunder have – struggled on the defensive end and they've struggled mightily on the offensive end. They just don't have that guy that can go create offense and and Westbrook, I think with the way that he's approached this season and, and some of his well-documented struggles is just not as equipped to carry a team right now, kind of as, as the uh, pure alpha anymore. Well, those are all important issues. I'm just going to go a little bit more micro. Um, They suffered some losses since Paul George went out. They were, they were fortunate to, Make that comeback, and Westbrook had a great fourth quarter to help them mm-hmm. do it. But the, the 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 Blazers have caught them in the yeah. standings. The Blazers are on a seven game road trip. They're five and one on it, where they won in Philly, they won in Boston, and they lost by two in Toronto. Almost won up there. Um, they have one more game on the road trip against Memphis. Um, I, I mean, nobody expected them to go through that I, uh, at that sort of level. And, you know, the 3-4 is a pretty big difference in the West. Um, it's the difference between being on the Warriors side of the bracket and not. And not that I'm saying that um, it's a buy because <laughs> the Nuggets are, are pretty good. And I'm not even guaranteeing anything um, in any uh, series pretty much over there. But um, it would be pretty important to get the number three seed if I were the Thunder looking at everything. Don't you, don't you think so? Absolutely. Look, the Rockets are only a game back themselves. This, is, I mean, this is far from settled. And they and they look just so much better recently with Chris Paul. Yeah, they look like so they look like themselves. Games. I mean, they they kind of look like look like the team that we all expected them to be all season long. And uh, yeah, the Thunder going into last night's game had lost four in a row, and they lost five of six dating back to pre All Star break. And they they were really they were struggling um, even outside of Paul George's injury and. Look, it's it's funny, Brian, because 
right before the All-Star break, the Thunder beat the Blazers to go up 3-0 in the season series. I think they'd given the Thunder maybe a three- or four-game lead up on the Blazers with the tiebreaker in hand, and it kind of looked like, okay, so the three seed's kind of intact, and maybe they could climb up to two and have home court in that series against the Nuggets. But now that's all within question. And to me, while it was an ugly win for the Thunder against the Grizzlies, it was a massively important one, and it might be significant because that – that I would have been so. five straight losses, and they're, they're about to go on a four-game road trip against good teams. And so you could have been riding a five-game losing streak with a four-game road trip coming up, Paul George's status in question. The Thunder could have gone from locking up or feeling like they've got the three seed to wondering if they were going to drop all the way back to six. Man, I mean, that's, um, you know, we've been paying so much attention to the back end of the West standings. I know I was guilty until I saw that the that the that the Blazers caught them. I was like, "Wow, look how tight it is in the middle there." And Friedel, those three, four, five, six. We saw this last year where the difference between like the three seed and the and the ten seed was like four games. Um, we're seeing it happen again. It's it, the, the win totals are a little fewer than we thought, but you know, I know that the that the Warriors haven't been at the highest level that we thought all year, but. I'd sure sell still want to be on the other side of the bracket than them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And as far as uh, y'all's conversation goes specifically to the middle uh, of, of those standings, guys, the Thunder are the only team to me that would really be able to potentially push the Warriors in a series. I mean – wholeheartedly i think the warriors are still going to roll they're going to win the title if they stay healthy the only team that can beat them is themselves but with paul george playing the way he has throughout the year with uh, russ's history with kd i mean there's just a lot of a lot of thick storylines in that series that would be a lot of fun to watch Uh, and certainly those games in oklahoma city royce i have not been to one you know that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they are uh they are a hell of a lot of fun to uh to be at but uh when i hear portland and i can't be alone here when i hear portland uh, pop up i just kind of yawn like huh we'll see what happens in the playoffs i watch that team i i i i see how they go with dame and he's unbelievable but i see them as a good regular season team when when the chips are down in the playoffs, it happened last year against New Orleans. It'll probably happen again this year. I just don't believe they're, they're a team that can make any kind of push. Uh, they they can't really do much. It's like okay, they're cool. They they're they're fun to watch at times because Lillard is so awesome uh, and McCollum can hit some shots. When it t- comes time for the playoffs, that team just ain't built for prime time. Brian, you well, said this. You talk about this. They, they would probably Brian, fight you on that, but, you're, but the, their results are what they are. But, who, Brian, who, who are the teams you think the Warriors fear? Like, I don't think they fear I mean, anybody. Well, I mean, I guess I should say, who do you think that they um, are mildly? I'll put it this way. Um, I think they would rather, <laughs> they, would rather the, they would rather the Rockets be on the other side of the bracket yeah, just that's, so that's the Rockets would have to win. The, the Rockets would have to win two series to get to them. Um, I don't think they fear them, but the Rockets have had success against them, and they're not going to go into Oracle and and you know be shaken the way I think Denver, uh, to a, right. you know for an example, would be. Um, like to me, the team that I look at in the East that is the scariest team 
is the Celtics, even though they are a hot mess. Because I still think that if they all, if they all, if their six or seven best players all play like they can play, I think they're the best team. But boy, I'm not putting down any bets on them. And in the West, other than the Warriors, the other team that I can see that could win the championship. Uh, and, oh, and by the way, like I, st- I think that the Raptors and the Bucks could win the championship under, you know, if Steph Curry sprains an ankle or what have you. Like I don't want to put down the Raptors and Bucks. I just think that, or or even or the the the, the 76ers, I don't believe in their bench, and I think that catches up with you in the playoffs. But I don't want to put any of those teams down. But I just think that everybody plays their best. Celtics win, um, and I think in the West everybody plays their best. The team that's there with the Warriors at the end is the Rockets. Um, but boy, there's a lot of variables, and um, you know I don't want to put the Thunder down either because I think the Thunder play their best there, right there too. But I, um, I, I do think they need to have Paul George be healthy because, as you said, Royce, it's a big difference. It's been a big difference without him, and and the thing that Paul George does that's really been on display this year. And I think it's one of the things that maybe is easy to overlook because you look at James Harden and it's just so amazing what he does. Paul George can play multiple positions on offense. You know, he can handle the ball if you need him to. He can space the floor if you need him to. He can create from the wing. But he can play multiple positions on defense. He can defend probably four positions on defense. And he has done that at a very high level all year. And when you have a player like that, and, and I'm speaking a little bit from watching LeBron, who at the height of his powers could defend five positions on defense, it is a panacea for everything. It, 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 it covers so many of your flaws. You can, you can survive and overcome so much more when you have a player like that. And that's one of the reasons why Paul is so valuable because he can do so many different things for them. Yeah, and that's to me that's something that's kind of been a revelation to me as I've watched Paul and what he's been able to accomplish this year is that I, I really kind of truly believe he's the most complete player in the NBA just based on how how he plays on the defensive end, how disruptive he is, how disciplined he is. But then offensively, he's just found a new a new level that he's never experienced in his career. And he's an incredible passer. He scores in every single way that you can score. Um, he's just he's just a completely balanced basketball player in in every way. And again, back to the to to the way the Thunder have played without him. I think what what so many teams take for granted when you have this level of player is just the ability for them to just get buckets. Just for them have the ability to when a, when a possession is has not gone well or you're down six and you kind of need to stem momentum or whatever it is, Paul George just has that knack to just pull up and hit a three. And that type of luxury is something that there's only a few players in the league. You know, you can probably count them on two hands that you can really rely upon them to do that for you on a consistent night in and night out basis. And that's Warriors what Paul's given three. the Thunder this year. Yeah, the, the Warriors have three guys that can do that. The Warriors have uh, three. That's what is a fairly advantageous thing. The Warriors have three, and they also have a guy that when he's fully engaged in Draymond can defend four or five positions. Yeah, He can change the game in his own way. It's a, it's a, you know, they truly are an amazing team, and I really, really enjoyed that game against the 76ers. 
I thought it was a great game. It was a great NBA game, and the way it played out was the reason why the Warriors are historically great. But mm-hmm. um, this is going to be an interesting week. Uh, uh, Royce is, you know, going to be welcoming a newborn into the world. So interesting for you, Royce. Um, Very interesting. We've got the, uh, the the Celtics are on the West Coast. Um, the Warriors have a couple of big games. The Lakers and the Celtics play each other in the uh, Dysfunction Bowl. Um, next time we talk, it's we're going to know a lot more about stuff. It's starting to get interesting. Um, there, the, there's a lot of marquee games that are getting squeezed in right now because the NBA backs off a little bit on the schedule with the NCAA tournament coming up. So they squeeze a heck of a lot of marquee games in. Um, between the end of the Super Bowl and the start of the NCAA tournament, and that's what we're in right now, and so we're seeing great stuff. Uh, I think this last week there were six different nights where there were national TV games, um, and there were great matchups like every single night, and we're going to see more of that uh, coming all this week. So um, this is really, um, if it's sort of a low-key great part of the season, and there's so many teams doing so many different things, going different directions. Um, I think we all get we all get guilty of focusing too much on transactions. The basketball right now 100%. is pretty interesting, and I think um, I think we're, and every game we're gonna, matters too, Brian. I mean, like look at just like what we talked about with the Thunder and Blazers. Like on right. a night in and night out basis, things can shift dramatically, especially in the West. Games yeah, matter. and um, yeah, there's uh, the, the West play. I, I, I'm almost tempted to put a moratorium on even bothering to talk about the Lakers and the eighth seed until they get like until they wouldn't get within two games of it because it's it's not where we should be focused. But um, um, Nick, thank you. Nick, thank you. You're welcome. Nick's. You're welcome. <laughs> um, Royce, good luck with everything this week. Thank you. Um, I'm going to need it. Thanks to, uh, <laughs> thanks to Kyrie for spinning the dials in Bristol. Um, thanks for listening to Hoop Collective Podcast. We'll be talking to you later in the week.